welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast. I I can't do it. I can't. I can't. Anyway, that that intro was way too fun to make. This is Matthew Keevil. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and as you may have gathered, this is our Halloween special. That's right, extra spooky, extra extra spooky. Hit the mixing board. <laughs> <laughs> who gave me this sound effects bundle this is this is too much it's going to be happening for most of the show i do warn you <laughs> this is going to be good <laughs> and as usual we are brought to you by the yukon mining alliance please do hop over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in canada's yukon territory Anyways, we have a great episode lined up for today. Uh, as you may have noted, Leslie and myself uh, were out of town last week, uh, thus the hiatus in the podcast. Uh, we were actually back east in Toronto for our Progressive Mind Forum, which turned into an absolutely great event. We had some uh, awesome keynote speakers, um, including Steve Letwin, the president and CEO of I Am Gold, who gave a great speech about lessons he's learned in the mining industry. Uh, our editor-in-chief, John Cumming, uh, wrote up an editorial on that and put the uh, transcript up on northernminer.com. So do check that out. It was really, really good. Um, But uh, I have an absolute massive backlog of material from the show. Uh, So we'll be rolling that out in the uh, coming weeks, which segues pretty well into Leslie's Geology Corner for this week. We have a pretty exciting one. Uh, This week we'll be talking big data and how it relates to uh, exploration geology. So Leslie's going to be sitting down with Pavel Abdur Rahman, who is an associate partner at IBM Cognitive Consulting Practices. Uh, This is essentially artificial intelligence. So this is AI, this is Skynet, this is great stuff. Leslie will also be sitting down with Robin Fells, Director of Strategic Technology Solutions at Goldcorp, and Sean Marston, Specialist in Mining Applications, also with Goldcorp. So uh, this will be a great roundtable where they chat a little bit about IBM's partnership with Goldcorp in terms of their new Watson machine learning technology and sort of how they're using it uh, in terms of big data in mining and what that might mean for the geological sciences moving ahead. So it's a great piece. We'll run that a little bit later. Meanwhile, on my end, we will be talking London Metal Exchange Week. That's right, the LME Week. This is the annual gathering of the quote-unquote global metals community that includes representatives from the entire supply chain uh, where they meet to discuss current trends in metal markets and what to expect from the year ahead. And of course, there's some networking and industry events and zombies. (laughs) No, there's not actually zombies, but I wanted my finger slipped on that sound effect, I swear. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we will dig into a couple big notes I got from uh, Bank of Montreal Capital Markets on LME Week, sort of a preview. They're setting the stage with some of the big discussion points and themes you might see at the event uh, in terms of uh, base metals, industrial metals, and technology metals. So we'll talk a little bit of copper, nickel, zinc, lithium, cobalt, uh, iron ore, etc. Uh, sort of see what the uh, macroeconomic and political climates are indicating for 2018 in terms of some of these uh, core metals that uh, we've seen rally recently, uh, as mentioned. And uh, zinc and copper especially have sort of caught the imagination of investors as uh, zinc's hit that uh, nearly decade highs. Well, copper also has uh, seemed to firm up above that $3 mark, which, as we've said repeatedly, is sort of the incentive point for new development. So we'll talk a little bit about that uh, and also some of the other themes and things BMO has uh, has projected and looked at heading into LME week. Uh, but before we do that, just to uh, contextualize our discussion, uh, let's talk about where metals are today. 
Uh, gold is trading at $1,271.70 per ounce at the time of recording, while silver is at $16.72 per ounce. Copper was trading at $3.11 per pound, while zinc was at $1.46 per pound. Meanwhile, West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil was trading at $54.42 per barrel at press time. So let's dig a little bit into the themes and uh, observations BMO Capital Markets has made heading into LME week. BMO expects copper and nickel to take center stage at the event, uh, which comes against a backdrop of, quote, seven consecutive quarterly gains in the LMEX index in a strong demand environment. BMO further expects producers to start discussing their growth optionality once again and electric vehicles to be a central topic of discussion. The turnaround in the aluminum market remains underappreciated, BMO says, partly owed to dating industry consultant projections of Chinese supply growth. So digging a little bit into the metals themselves, BMO poses effectively four questions we're going to discuss here uh, and then subsequently provide some uh, answers or guidance to those questions. The first one uh, is a nice one. Is, is zinc still the most loved metal? Obviously, we've discussed over the last six to eight months on this podcast the resurgence of zinc to those heady 2006-2007 highs where we we're approaching $1.50 per pound, which we have not seen in a decade. Uh, so it's been, as BMO says, a poster child for a successful recovery in prices driven by supply discipline. So that's how they sort of underpine the zinc rally. Uh, they go on to discuss copper's perennial supply struggles, uh, coupled with a lack of significant investment in new capacity. Uh, this will undoubtedly be discussed at LME Week. We have discussed this on the podcast, the lack of exploration dollars and development dollars being put into copper, the declining head grades, high capex. Uh, we're looking at the fact that uh, where's this next next sort of run of copper development projects going to come from. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the current momentum in nickel will also generate a fair amount of excitement, says BMO, and it expects aluminum play somewhat second fiddle to the others despite its clear turnaround over the past year. That leads into our next question, which is how confident are metal consumers about underlying demand? Uh, BMO notes that compared to the last this time last year, the global economy is in quote-unquote good health. GDP growth rates among the G7 members continue to impress. Unemployment rates remain near historical lows across much of the developed world, and central bankers are turning increasingly hawkish. BMO concludes that macro indicators, notably manufacturing PMI and industrial production in the U.S., Eurozone, and China, indicate towards healthy underlying demand and a strong demand cycle in the first half of 2018. Furthermore, as the world pushes towards a new phase of industrialization through automation, which we will discuss uh, moving ahead due to our progressive mind forum, uh, BMO sees significant potential for late cycle metals to outperform. Uh, so uh, interestingly enough, it looks quite healthy. We actually had some bad uh, economic forecasts come out in Canada, uh, but uh, by and large, the US, Eurozone, and China do look fairly bullish in terms of macro fundamentals heading into the first half of 2018. That naturally segues into our copper question that uh, BMO poses, which is, when does the copper deficit bite? And uh, we've obviously been wondering this for a while in terms of uh, this sort of overhang we've heard in copper that we discussed earlier, in terms of a lack of investment in new projects, in terms of declining head grades, more waste, deeper mines, etc. When is this sort of copper deficit going to rear its head? Uh, the more pertinent question, as BMO says, is obviously the timing of 
this. Uh, BMO notes after this year's struggle, it does expect a supply recovery next year. Uh, the bank would view any drop in contract treatment and refining charges as a win for miners. Uh, given the environmental crackdown in China, however, the spread between Queen and Dirty concentrates may widen. Uh, meanwhile, uh, BMO notes that this is the first year when the copper deficit hasn't been pushed further into the future. Uh, in BMO's view, uh, H1 2019, when uh, um, First Quantum's Cobra Panama is producing, Grasberg production has peaked and the end of life at Rodemiro Atomics XEW is nigh. The mine supply deficit will lead to sustained outperformance of copper. So there you go. BMO's saying first half 2019, we're going to see that copper rally. We've been hearing about the uh, quote-unquote midterm copper rally. Everyone's saying push it out a little bit short term. Uh, but as BMO knows, this is the first year we haven't seen that sort of pushed out uh, as far as time horizons on when that supply deficit might manifest itself. And naturally, uh, we are seeing discussions about the new era economy or the uh, technological revolution, the green revolution, etc. Um, are discussions moving away from the major London metal exchange metals? BMO poses. Uh, electric vehicles, grid energy storage, hyperloop automation, drone deliveries. Uh, BMO says the world is moving toward a future with different growth drivers and metal demand fundamentals. Uh, the progressive complexity of these applications, quote unquote, is already driving rapid advancements in battery chemistry uh, with intensity dependent on a whole host of desired properties, including charge time, energy density, and max discharge. Uh, BMO notes that even two years ago, cobalt and lithium would never have been discussed LME week uh, and steel and iron ore were relative unknowns uh, now conversations and presentations which don't touch on these areas are likely to be the exception rather than the rule as this new era green economy continues to capture investor attention so we'll pay attention to uh, as we have uh, over the last six to eight months the uh, the revolution towards uh, products like cobalt lithium uh, how nickel might play a role in that equation interestingly enough BMO also added from the first session uh, at the LME week, uh, there was a poll. Um, and uh, this this poll asked the audience uh, what metal they viewed as having the most upside potential in 2018. Nickel captured the consensus by a landslide with 43% of respondents expecting it to outperform the other base metals next year. Meanwhile, copper was second with 23% of the moat, uh, vote, vote and lead was third with 14%. So there you go. Uh, the people at LME Week think that the biggest upside potential lies predominantly in nickel next year. Then you got copper and then lead. Uh, so there we go. That's sort of an update on what's going on at LME Week in London. Uh, talking a little bit about uh, some of the themes and uh, macro events you might see happen moving into 2018 and maybe where you should look for those investment upside opportunities uh but uh yeah let's move on ahead uh, get uh, get cracking on Leslie's geology corner. Uh, please do be aware of the monsters as you transition to the next phase of the podcast. Ah, watch out. Uh, anyways, uh, moving on ahead with Leslie's uh, Progressive Mind Forum, a uh, little chat she had uh, on the side of the convention floor with, uh, as we mentioned, our uh, of three participants, uh, two from Goldcorp, one from IBM, talking about big data, Watson, the Goldcorp-IBM po uh, partnership, and what that might mean for geology and data moving ahead. Okay, hey there, it's Leslie Stouse with uh, the Northern Miner, and I'm sitting down at our Progressive Mine Forum in Toronto. I've got some pretty cool people here with me. I've got Robin Fell, 
Um, Robin, you are the Director of Strategic Technological Solutions at Goldcorp. And I've got Pavel Raman. Pavel is a data scientist and associate partner of IBM. And I also am joined by Sean Marsden. Um, she's a specialist in mining applications for Goldcorp, too. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hi. Hey. <laughs> so we're sitting down with geologists, and we're sitting down with some IT people. So obviously, we're going to be talking about some big data. Um, we just had a conversation about that, but I really want to talk to you guys more about it on the sidelines. Um, I really need to kind of get an idea of what big data looks like in the future. Like if we were to go warp 10 into the future, 10, 20 years maybe, what does big data look like for a geologist such as yourself, Sean? It comes down to not just the software you're using, but how you're going to collect it. So are we going to get more into analytical techniques like XRF and uh, hyperspectral, where the whole core gets mapped and then you don't have to log it, and then the geologist comes back and sees it? And at that point, you have so many data points that your data set just balloons. So how do you handle that? And the ability to integrate this with our models, geophysics, uh, any type of information we collect into one source is the, uh, <laughs> is the future. Cool. And then Robin, what do you think? Yeah, I think part of the challenge really is that um, a lot of data is being collected right now. Um, there's a lot of information about this data that isn't being collected. And, you know, with, with more and more sensors and, and as these software tools become more sophisticated, that volume of data is increasing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the barrier to entry of accessing this information requires that you know these tools. So it would be great if, um, a bit like Jean-Luc Picard in Star Trek, yes. if you could ask... Star Trek references. If you could just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could just ask the questions, you know, using language, you mm -hmm. know, speaking to, to something to get some kind of answer, as opposed to requiring a very technical tool to do this. And part of the challenge is looking across these data sets. Quite often with these tools, you're looking at one set at a time. Am I looking at drill logs right now? Am I looking at um, geological shapes? What, you know, am I looking at maps? I do each thing kind of separately, and we use the power of humans, our, our own abilities to try and look across these sets. But imagine if a lot of that um, work was done for us, and then we could spend our time interpreting thinking, analyzing. So that's what I see in the future. You know, it's funny because um, I was trying to wrap my head around big data myself, and <clears throat> I was like talking to you guys last week, you know, just trying to figure out, and I was hanging out at home sick, and I was watching Star Trek, and it was season four, episode 24, and it was Geordie LaForge. He got captured by the Romulans, you see. He was brainwashed in order to like kill like the Klingon ambassador to start a war, but he didn't know he was brainwashed. But he was picking up on all these radiation waves, it was really weird. And so he went to the computer and he said, computer, like, can you identify these patterns? What are they comparable to in nature? Because you couldn't figure out what, what, where they were coming from. And the computer came back and said, they are consistent with brain waves. And then he realized, one way or another, that he was actually being brainwashed. So anyway, I, I realized it was like a punch in the face. I was like, oh my god, that's big data. So um, in terms of like queries, I know we have Watson. So I guess uh, the computer on the Star Trek Enterprise, that would be Watson. Would it be Pavel? Sure, let's go with that okay. for, for now. Uh, if you think about it, um, Watson is the um, AI, um, the AI platform. Uh, for 
um, for enterprises. That's how we, we, we think about it. Um, just like how there was SAP and Oracle and these different ERPs, um, uh, we believe Watson would be the AI platform where different industries will create uh, what we call sort of vertical um, uh, end-user specific solutions. For example, right now we're creating solutions for um, exploration geologists at, at Goldcorp. Uh, but there are many, many applications like that. The, the famous ones are Watson for Oncology, um, Watson for Petroleum Engineers, uh, Watson for um, uh, uh, Investment Bankers. So the notion would be um, you create enterprise applications um, and Watson becomes an AI platform for, for, for big companies. Cool. So what kind of, what, um, Sean, can you tell me, what would you ask Watson for as being a geologist? Like what are some questions you would ask? Where's the next mine? <laughs> would it actually do it? Would it be like? <laughs> Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. No, but it's more finding what patterns do I know? Mm -hmm. Is it coming up with it? And then what have I missed? And maybe there's something we haven't thought about in the last 80 years that we're very rigid in our models. And if we don't think outside the box, we're not going to find that new pattern. And maybe having access to the full data set will let them do that. Cool. And if that can then help us spur new discoveries, whether it's right or wrong, like bad data is still good data sometimes if you get a wrong answer because you know not to go there. So anything that helps us drive the ability to explore more efficiently, that's what I want. Part of the challenge, actually, with using data systems is there's the human interpretive piece that the, the, the system does not have access to. Um, you know, we use knowledge and experience to really we predict the future based on extrapolating what we think is going to happen. There's no reason as, as machines get more sophisticated that they can't approach this kind of state. If we, if we say, hey, look for this, look for that, and you have this data, then maybe the Watson can propose to us a pattern that it's seen. Or we could, like Geordie, say, have you seen something like this before? And Watson could say, yeah, actually, 20 miles west of your site, I've seen this cool. kind of pattern somewhere else. Ooh. And then you, and then you're on a trail. You're, you're in Sherlock Holmes mode, trying to kind of find out, well, why is that? And because you have the platform, your next follow-up question can be answered almost immediately. And then the follow-up question to that can be answered immediately. As opposed to going away and spending three weeks grinding data to get the next answer. So that iterative process to conclude within one episode what the problem is to try and resolve it. Maybe you know that's where we see this going, and that, I don't think that's pie in the sky. We absolutely expect to see that in the next year. And if you, if you just think about it, let's make it personal. I was talking to Leslie before this. Um, think of what's happening at Google. When you do a Google search, you type something, and you expect a... <laughs> Sorry, and you expect a you expect a result within uh, milliseconds mm -hmm. because you actually need to ask a better question. Um, and if you think about what we are perhaps trying to do here, is obviously the answer is important. And when we say answer, it's historical answer. So give me a result that happened in the past. Um, we're actually trying to make people ask better questions faster. Mm. Right. That basically means data exploration. That what we do at Google at home, right? When we go to search something, we don't wait, ask a question, come home tomorrow, and see what happened. What's my favorite movie? No, I mean, you know, it's a go back and forth. And once people get comfortable with that, there's enough value there that we see. Then the whole question is about, tell me what's going to happen tomorrow, right? And that's where the prediction 
gets into the whole, the whole game. And again, let's make it very personal in terms of prediction. Uh, we were talking. You use prediction at Google, Facebook, Tinder, Uber, Amazon. Everybody is predicting your next move. Facebook can read my thoughts. Oh, Facebook knows like more that. about you than perhaps some of our family members. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so, so the whole point becomes how can I ask better question and then help me predict the future. That's really what we're trying to do in all these different domains. And we're doing it in our personal lives. Yeah. Right? I think a good example is we predict the future all the time. Pattern recognition and changing the way we behave. If I throw a ball at Pavel, he catches the ball. Why? Because he understands the theory of gravity and he knows all the equations and Newtonian mechanics? No. He just instinctively knows the ball will go that way and based on our gravitational field, it's likely to fall this amount because of its weight that he's assessing by looking at it. So he's doing a bunch of computation. He's predicting the future based on his, his experience. Of course. There's no reason why a machine can't do the same thing as long as we teach it about gravity, as long as we teach it how to try and assess the weight of a ball, mm -hmm. and as long as we then tell it, you're, you're in this environment, you're on Earth, you're on the surface, you can expect this, and the machine will be able to catch the ball as well. And it's also that, when you missed it, if you actually missed it and it hit you in the face, <laughs> you actually learn from it. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's actually very important. Time. So those, those, what we call them labeled data, Meaning, when was it that you caught that ball or when did it hit your face? <laughs> Both of them are very important for the next ball coming to you. Right. So you can adjust. And that's the learning. That's, that's the, the learning, learning concept, right. which is actually embedded into this cognitive computing business. I think that as a geologist, too, we rely so much on pattern recognition. And then sometimes, like, you hear a geologist talk about intuition. Like, I just had this gut feeling to just to keep the core going or the drill going. And I always kind of contemplate um, what, what intuition really means. And for me, I, I, I feel like it's a forgotten pattern recognition. It's something that we saw during the course of our careers over and over again. And subconsciously or consciously, we process that information. And then it fell into this, like, backlog to the point where it's not even a tangible thought anymore, but it's still there. And so suddenly I'm you know, on the drill, and I'm drilling, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I should really just keep it going. You know, something in me is telling me, but it's just my subconscious. So it's that pattern recognition that's computationally going on behind my brain, so I can see and appreciate where you guys are coming from with this. To, to, take, yeah. to actually take it one step further, Leslie, the concept is, it's just not your intuition. How about oh, yeah. all the generational it? intuition that oh, kind of retired or are sick today or on vacation or no longer around? All of that intuition is missing. So what do we call the tribal knowledge? How do you codify that tribal knowledge so it's available to complement your intuition if you wanted to? It's very powerful. That's a crazy thought. Mm. Yeah. And that's, that's, the, that's the moonshot, really, that we can you know, end up with an extremely powerful tool for, for the geologists to use to do whatever they're interested in doing. And, um, you know, it's, it feels attainable in this day and age right now. I don't think it was even an option five years ago. But now we have this power, we have this ability as human beings, we understand, we understand natural language processing and so on. Then, you know, just a simple case of looking across all 140 block model files. You know, currently 
well, in the past actually, now we can do it. You can only query two or three at a time in a mega PC on your desktop. Mm -hmm. Now, Sean right here can query the whole lot across the entire site and get a result in, in seconds. That's amazing. And, that, and that's going to prompt, that's already prompting some very deep thought on what on earth the data is telling us. And maybe, maybe what it's telling us is look at this piece a little further, analyze a little bit more, and then now uh, we're, on a, we're onto something, whatever it might be. It could be that what we're onto is bad data. Yeah. So we can chase it down, and we actually have fixed some of this data. Maybe the Lamp Dyke example is quite a good one. Yeah, we're well, basically, Lamp Dykes are the last stage intrusive for Red Lake, and I found about 1,000 holes that had multi ounce gold in it, and that just doesn't make sense. If it's the last intrusive, it should be cutting all the ore bodies. Mm -hmm. So going through, we found out that someone logged it as fine grain gray object, and whoever put it into the database thought that meant dyke. So you can go back and then just fix all that, and go back to the original logs and make sure it's in there properly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've all kind of been, any, any geologist been on a mine site knows that at some point, you end up calling a rock based on its color. Yeah. <laughs> it's always gray, like gray, medium gray, some sort of gray. Yeah. And then suddenly, like, the next generation of geologists come in, they're, like, banging their head against the wall, being like, why? <laughs> so then, yeah, so I appreciate it. Anyway, there's so many more things that we can talk about, but I'm just going to cut it off here because I think that that really gives us a really good idea of, of what's possible with big data. And so I just want to thank you guys for taking time out of your day and having a chat. And, um, yeah, keep me, keep me updated. Welcome back to our scary studio. It's not actually that scary. It's pretty nice in here. It's bright, sunny, great day for trick-or-treating if you're taking the kids out tonight. Uh, so thanks again to Leslie and the reps from Gold Corp and IBM for uh, taking the time to sit down and chat about big data and the future of geoscience. Also their partnerships, uh, which is pursuant to the IBM Watson technology. Uh, exciting stuff. We have a, a great deal of uh, awesome content coming out of our Progressive Mine Forum. If you want to check out what we've already published uh, or released, please do head over to northernminer.com. Consider grabbing yourself a the subscription. Uh, our editor-in-chief, John Cumming, has already released a couple great articles on the PMF. Um, but uh, yeah, we won't keep it too much longer here. It is Halloween. Everyone's ready to get going, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, one brief update from our sponsors, the Yukon Mining Alliance, and also involves me, actually. Um, I'll be heading up to the Yukon Geoscience Forum uh, Sunday, November 19th at the Coast High Country Inn in Whitehorse. Uh, I'll be speaking on a Yukon investment panel. Uh, so it should be good times. I'll be up there, uh, I believe, through Sunday, Monday. Uh, so if you uh, are at the show, please do uh, check it out. So thanks again for listening to the Northern Miner Podcast. This has been your host, Matthew Keevil, and watch out for the monsters under your bed. Oh.